from a B2B standpoint, organizations need to think about how are they creating a digital buying process? How are they creating like an image of themselves that is authentically that, you know, because at the end of the day, people buy from people. People don't buy from brands. They buy from people. Hi there. Welcome to On The Flip Side, a podcast for anyone who wants to live their best sales life. We're going to be talking to buyers, sales managers, SDRs, and A's about things like, what does it take to be a great sales manager? Or how can you go home happy month after month? So let's dive right in. Hey, Jim. So glad to have you here on The Flip Side. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's early over here, but I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Ed Porter told me that like I needed to come and visit with you because you are just a great podcast host. And I'm so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Awesome. And you know, as I was going through your LinkedIn profile as preparation for the interview today, one thing that really stood out for me was just how much thought you had put into, you know, creating your personal brand and like you had a ready-to-go press package. You had like topics that people could reach out to you for, for speaking opportunities. And, and it's really intriguing, right? Like, because you have a full-time job, it's not like, you know, you're doing this uh, as a full-time gig. You were also one of the LinkedIn top sales influencers. Curious, what has your career journey been like and what has gotten you here? Yeah, um, so I actually started out in uh, retail. I was traveling the country, setting up new stores. And my career journey then took me to the cigar industry where I managed a cigar bar and a private smoking club, right? And so what was interesting is when, you know, when I was in that role, we had a private club room, but we additionally had like conference rooms in the back. And I would see the software salespeople come and they would reserve my conference room. And so they would do their, you know, hour demo. And then they would bring their clients into the club. They would buy them cigars. They would buy them some drinks. And the next thing you know, they were done for the day. They closed their deal. It was like everything moved on. And I'm like, man, I'm working so many hours a week managing this entire place with entertainment and bar inventory. And I'm like, like, I need to find a new life. Like, this is not working. So I got into software. And so that that journey has been pretty amazing. You know, I've had ups and downs being a woman and sometimes one of the only women, right, in that environment. But overall, I'm like, I'm so grateful I found the opportunity to work with, you know, innovative companies. Like I brought new solutions to market and I spent time, you know, I started out in software when it was green screen, DOS, to seeing the evolution into SaaS and offering a SaaS solution. So it's kind of, it's funny when you, I look back and I think, you know, I sold that green screen just as well as I sold SaaS. So it's just, it's funny. And for my personal brand, you know, that's, that's evolved over the years. You know, I was actually impacted by the pandemic and decided that I needed to be super intentional about what I was going to do going forward. And so while I was doing that, I'm like, who am I? You know, by then I'm over 40 years old and I know the one thing about my 40s is I knew super clear, this is who I am. This is what I care about. These are the things that are are of value to me. And so I can be super intentional. I can lay this all out and come up with what my, what my messages are, right? What are my content pillars to be able to say, 
I talk about this and I talk about that and like add on to that. And the reason I do that is because I've noticed that over time that the more presence you are, the more of a digital presence you are, the more people feel like they know you and it makes things easier. I, I had Morgan Ingram on uh, my LinkedIn Live a, a little while ago and we were talking about when we first met, right? And I called the episode Discovery Call Therapy. And one of the interesting things I about love that it was, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So one of the interesting things about that is that, you know, we had never met and we have a discovery call. My One of my peers actually invited me to this call. He had already had one call with Morgan before. So I get on this call and it feels like I know Morgan. Morgan starts asking me questions and I'm like, I need to tell you all the things because I feel like I know you. And so, and I told him all the things. You know, so much so that it felt like therapy. Like I think every good discovery call feels a little bit like therapy when someone's ready to open up to you enough to tell you all the things and, you know, not only their problems, but the impact of those problems, right? And so I realized looking back at it that part of the reason that I felt comfortable to have that conversation was because you know, I had felt like I knew Morgan and that was only through his brand. So as I was creating my brand and, and being intentional about the, the topics that I talk about, I, I wanted to pull topics that were important to me, but also ones that were personal so that people get to know me so that when I'm having a conversation, they feel like they know me too. I thought that was a just like a really interesting thing about, about meeting Morgan and, and realizing that. That's a really fascinating story because, you know, I'll just kind of rewind a little bit to and dive into a few things that you said, right? One was the fact that, you know, as we grow older, I think we get more clarity on what is it that we really stand for, right? And that makes it in some ways easier to also say no, right? And also to say that this is not what I stand for, uh, right? And do you think that that kind of clarity and exposure is necessary for someone to start thinking about personal branding because of course a lot of people out there today you know who are uh, using LinkedIn for personal branding are much younger uh, and do you find something missing if they don't have that uh, kind of depth of experience and exposure? No I mean I think it's I mean everybody is made up of their life experiences right I've seen people who are younger than me with brands on LinkedIn who have crystal clarity about what they believe in and what they stand for. And it's because of the experiences that they've had that make them have that clarity, right? So if you haven't had some of the struggles, you know, some of the women in sales have had, then maybe you don't have necessarily the, the experiences where you go, you know, this is what I stand for because, you know, it, you just haven't had the opportunity to have as many negative and positive experiences, right? And so I think, you know, it evolves for each person. Just like what the things I'm talking about today are not necessarily all the same things I was talking about a year ago. Like as time has moved on, I've thought, okay, I like I want to expand into this area and that area because these are things that I either believe in, I can talk about, I'm passionate about, and every single person's journey sort of evolves based on their experiences, I think. 
you know, from uh, running your cigar room to software sales, do you see any parallels apart from maybe the fact that, you know, both are fairly male dominated, I would assume? Yeah, no, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's always about relationship building, right? Whether it was in the cigar room, the club members all doing events and building relationships that they took from the cigar room to the boardroom, right? To the guys on the golf course who go play golf together and then take those relationships to the boardroom, right? Software is very much the same thing. You're building relationships and you're networking and you're getting to know people. And, you know, the the sum of your network and as many people as you know is as much opportunity as you can you can get, right? So taking those opportunities to get to know people and to legitimately authentically like be present in the moment and not making it about you but making it about them or what what's possible you know i think is is super important now from the male dominated aspect yeah i mean that's that's always been a challenge that there's at some points you have to consider as a woman in sales you know how you're going to reach your objective while you're communicating and start to understand the different personality types uh, of male within men within that industry, within the industry, so that you can achieve your desired results. And sometimes, I mean, I remember there were times I would walk my neighborhood in the middle of the night thinking about, okay, so if I say this, they're going to say this. And if I say this, they're going to say this. And so if my desired result is here, let me completely analyze to death how can I get to my desired results so that I can be successful? And so I don't think that men realize how much of that women need to do in order to feel like they're they're achieving something. You know, I wrote an article about like being on the hamster wheel. And women tend to get on this hamster wheel, right? Going as fast as they can. And they're just trying to like make room for themselves and make this place where they're they can be successful while still feeling valued, while still feeling heard. And you run as fast as you can. You don't know if it's working or not until you, you get the feeling, right? And so you're always searching for that feeling of maybe it's belonging or inclusion, but to feel safe, right? So, and I don't think a lot of men necessarily have that, like they have to get that feeling because they have it from the get-go. You know, because if you've got over 30% of people who are all the same, then you've, mm-hmm. you've got that feeling from the get-go. But if you're less than 30%, then you're, you know, you're not necessarily part of it. And, you know, unless you get that feeling, because at the end of the day, you know, it's a feeling. It's about how you make people feel. That's why I talk so often about the difference between culture ad versus culture. It's, it's really fascinating because I started out my career in investment banking and that probably has to be one of the industries with the worst kind of gender ratio and, you know, work environments. And I think that what you mentioned, right, like one thing that happens very subtly is that when you find yourself as a minority in a situation, you become much more self-conscious, right? You're always in some sense uncomfortable and questioning yourselves and 
trying to see yourself from the lens of the other person, right? And you feel, I think, a lot more judged and evaluated, right, than you would if you were on the majority of it. And I think in some sense, you mentioned that, right? Like uh, people, you know, what is the feeling that you get and when you are in that room full of some somebody who looks and talks different from you? Do you think that, you know, of course, there are lots of things in place to help improve that gender balance at work, but do you think there are things that, men could be doing to actually make it you know a little bit easier and better for women in sales yeah i mean i definitely um looking to bring more women into sales right and support them and offering mentorship as well as supporting women you know with girls club i've had the opportunity to hear you know mentors that are that are men who you know dedicate their time to really sharing their insights. And so if I go to one of the mentors, one of the male mentors for Girls Club, and I say, I've run into this challenge, what would you suggest? Rather than me walking around my neighborhood in the middle of the night trying to figure out all the variables, right? I, I could just ask one of them, which is super helpful. And I think that's one of, even during the pandemic, it's one of the, the things that I found is that I'm able to, like I found more little micro communities of men that are supportive of women that I could pick their brains. I could find out their thoughts and get their feedback. So that mentorship is so important and so valuable to women to feel like there are men out there that want to listen and want to understand the perspective. Monthly, I do a ladies happy hour on LinkedIn Live. And so that ladies happy hour has got a panel of like eight women and they're all sharing their insights. What's top of mind for them? What challenges they're experiencing? What they've learned? And I have noticed, like I started doing them back in like October of last year, right? And so each one I do, I notice more men. And what I love about that is that each time I do it and there are more men is that they're they're gathering these ideas. They're starting to at least open up to the possibility that women think differently and that that's okay, but that those thoughts and how we're supported and it matters, you know, with the pandemic, women have been more impacted than anyone else, right? Specifically minority women, right? And so in order for us to even gain back to where we were before the pandemic, it's going to take a great deal of work and effort and understanding from allies, from organizations, because a lot of women, especially mothers, have left the workforce entirely. I think I saw a McKinsey stat that so far in the pandemic, we've been set back, women as a whole, by like half a century in the progress that we made pre-pandemic. So when you think about that, how is that going to impact my daughter if it, if it 50 years is, you know, a significant change when she gets into the workforce, that 50 years isn't going to make a difference for her. And so all this advocating I've been doing for like women in sales and women in general, women in technology, you know, pre-pandemic, maybe it was making some progress, <laughs> right? But the reality that, you know, it's not, it may not be different for her. So I have a question there, right? Like I, you know, of course I've been at many women in sales events or women entrepreneurship events, 
and I always wonder whether you know having these separate communities and events and you know opportunities does that actually further the cause or does that just you know call out the fact that there is a problem and it in some ways you know creates a ghetto of people talking about the problem but you know maybe doesn't necessarily benefit right like you know I come from a position where I had not, you know, I had attended maybe one woman entrepreneurship event before I went to, you know, Y Combinator for my program. And then I realized that there was so much talk about, you know, women founders and how they are treated differently. And I sometimes wonder that kind of just creates a bit more of a victim mindset in some sense. Like, you know, what is your take on it? Does it further the cause? Does it maybe just make people think that they are a little bit uh, less, you know, less equal. Yeah, I think it depends on the person, right? So while I was going through the worst of my career in in regards to how I felt about my, how I was treated within, you know, places that I've worked, right? If I had had a resource or a place to go for that support to get mentorship, it would have, it would have been super valuable to me. But I do agree that there are events that I've gone to where people have taken more of a a victim mindset, right? And so I think what matters is, you know, how each individual person takes that in and then like, does, do the challenges make you a stronger person or do the challenges make you feel and be a victim? Right. And I think that that's different for each person. Right. So the challenges I face, I think, has allowed me to really understand a little bit better other people who are not necessarily, you know, in the in the majority. It makes me feel like I've, you know, I've I've achieved more despite you know, some of the places I've been, some of the ways I've been treated. And that to me is one of my superpowers because it's, it's when you can rise above it, that, that makes it, you know, something that happened, but like, I don't have to, that happened back then. I can now advocate for women and make sure that more women get into leadership positions and support them however I can without necessarily having a victim mindset. Now, in the same respect, things have happened, right? And so just like anything else in life, you've had those experiences and you can run into triggers where you're like, oh no, I'm not here again, right? So, and that's not necessarily being a victim. That's just hyper self-awareness of, I want to make sure that this never happens again and that I don't tolerate it. Right. So there's a difference between being a victim and saying, hey, I know what this looks like and I'm not going to tolerate anything I don't deserve and rising above it. Yeah, I think something that you're saying there is also about like, you know, in some sense, having a role model, whether that is a role model in terms of, you know, how do I deal with this situation? You know, how do I stand up against something that, you know, doesn't uh, sit well with me? And I think that's probably a big power of Uh, micro communities or communities that are around helping support special groups right because then you kind of see somebody else who's been through that journey 
Uh, and you realize that, yes, maybe the odds are stacked against me, but I know I can get there and that gives you hope. And when you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, it gives you uh, maybe that extra fighting power to get there, right? And I, I definitely think that's that's a very powerful message. And that's why I think things like Girls Club, things like, you know, having people like you, Laurie, etc., in the community really help because then people naturally get, you know, something that they can aspire. I'm also curious, right? Like you started out with a little bit of the personal branding thing and I want to double click on that. One of the things that people often struggle with is, you know, how much time and effort should they spend on creating that personal brand versus, you know, just kind of, you know, amplifying what the company brand and messaging is. Because of course, companies today have found out that it's much more effective for them to get their employees to talk about them and you know further their message than to maybe try and do that through the official channel all right so you know what is your advice and what are some of the interesting stats maybe that you've seen in this regard yeah i mean the value of your people right is is huge for instance like on average team members will have 10 times more followers than any company brand right and any and they'll receive eight times more engagement when they post about like a message that is you know like a brand message the reach of an employee is five hundred sixty one percent more than an actual company so at the end of the day you know it's like do companies recognize that their greatest asset is their people and that those people have feelings and things that they're passionate about and things that they enjoy and they have values in their own personal missions while still supporting the organization. And that all those things that make them them are a personal brand, whether they like it or not, whether organizations like it or not. Your people are your brand. And so how they go out in the world and the more that they share and the more that they do and the more that they do so authentically, the more opportunity it creates for organizations. Just like that conversation with Morgan where, you know, I just pretty much shared everything just because I felt like I knew him. He never met me. There was even an awkward moment where I mentioned his vacation because I followed him on Instagram. Like he, he doesn't, he didn't know me. Right. And sometimes and sometimes now I experience that where someone will call me or they'll email me or message me and I don't know them, but they feel like they know me. And I love that because then, you know, I know that they looked at me and they followed my content and that somehow they felt connected to me. And I know it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Right. And so the value of that is huge and i don't think enough organizations are taking advantage of that you know it's the it's you know how amazon you know took over the b2c market right yeah and they did it by being fast and by connecting with their buyers where and how they wanted to connect how they wanted to receive their products from a b2b standpoint organizations need to think about how are they creating a digital buying pro process? How are they creating a pro like an image of themselves that is authentically that, you know, because at the end of the day, people buy from people. People don't buy from brands. They buy from people. And, you know, unless you're just going to a website and you're subscribing and then you're moving on. But that's not, you know, 
the difference, the only reason, you know, salespeople will stick around rather than, you know, the robots is because of the value they bring as a person and mm-hmm. that ability to be a consultative sale and to be able to lead people and help people through the sales cycle. So if you're not allowing your people to be fully present and to be out there branding and investing the time on, in developing those skills, then you, you're really missing out. That's fascinating. Are you saying that creating a personal brand is like creating Amazon Prime delivery options in some sense, uh, right? Like basically because if you have a personal brand, you're able to accelerate that rapport building and that discovery and get, get to a much deeper, deeper discovery, all right? It's like you're able to maybe accelerate the whole sales cycle for the organization. And maybe that's one way for organizations to think and value the personal branding uh, story. Yeah, no, that's it exactly. It builds that credibility, the familiarity. It, it creates you as, you know, like a resource and a resource that's searchable, that's found, that can be added to lists about who are influencers or thought leaders. It creates you as a person while you may represent an organization, right? But it's it's just being more out there. So let's say maybe a organization now has got a CEO and maybe one other person who are like sort of the ones out there, the brand advocates, right? Can you imagine a team where everyone is a brand advocate and everyone's talking about the value you bring? And everyone is more searchable and everyone is more present. Think about the impact that can make over time is, is just huge. I think we've seen some of it with Gong. Gong is doing an amazing job of their people being present. Gravy is really good at, at that, doing just encouraging people to be present and out there as themselves out there on social media and not, you know, not being limited. Like how important is innovation to sales, right? So right now it's LinkedIn. There's also Clubhouse. Are you then following your prospects on Clubhouse so that you can actually hear their voice and like start to understand what they care about? Are you taking it to Twitter where they're also coming out with audio and you can start hearing their voice? Like leveraging all the places the people are where you could just... Where are your where are your prospects and customers? Go be there. I love that. I think I'm going to title this uh, episode Amazon Prime for B2B sales. Oh, that's awesome. But you know, I think from a company's point of view, right? The struggle then is of course, I want my people to create personal branding because maybe that helps me further my story and my message. Maybe, you know, you make a really interesting point. Maybe that also helps me, you know, accelerate the sales cycle. But, you know, how should they think about the fact that maybe that also creates a risk for you to lose someone because they have more visibility. All right. And that's something that they worry about. And also, you know, the fact that time is a limited resource. And so maybe my people are spending too much time uh, creating that personal brand and maybe not all of the benefits of that flow to me. Right. Like I have a point of view on this, but, you know, I would love to hear yours. Yeah. I mean, I think. okay, so just like training. Right. You're not going to not train your people because they're going to get so many skills that they're going to go find a new job. It's, it's the same thing. It's like, like, are you invested in your team members and your employees? Do you want the best for them? It, 
what it comes down to is your culture and your leadership. You know, there, there are people who are servant leaders who, you know, invest their time, their resources into building people up. And that creates a sense of loyalty. And sometimes people might move on, but you'll never know when they come back. And either way, you've mentored them to become the person you are. You've created the, you've helped create this, this career journey. And all of that is good karma out into the world. You know, yes, there's a time work balance, right? You have certain things you need to achieve within a certain time frame, and they all need to get done. But having training, right, will, will help that. How much time you should invest? What are the steps you should do? Rather than people going, hmm, I might like a personal brand. Let me go figure out how to do it. You know, instead, maybe provide training on how the best way to do it quickly so that you can leverage it while you're still being productive might be also a good way to go. You lower the risk, just like anything else with training. Workman's comp, they train people, risk lowered, insurance premiums down. Training reduces risk in all cases, just like leadership. They do leadership training to reduce risk to for retention, to make sure that people are being treated correctly. Yeah. The, the solution to any risk is always training. I think anyway. <laughs> that, that's an interesting point. Uh, the solution to any risk is training. I guess, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, yeah, people do tend to get short-sighted about these things, but it definitely makes sense to take a longer-term vision because, like you said, you know, one is you, of course, want them to become, you know, better at their jobs. And I think that that also forces you to become better as an organization to make sure that, you are an organization that's still attractive to people who are better, right? And that uh, kind of, you know, keeps upping the bar because you don't want to lose somebody just because they became too good for you. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. And I'm curious, you know, just as we wind this down, uh, I love to ask, uh, love to ask everyone, what is the first thing they sold? Um, curious, what was that for you? The first thing I sold? Okay, so when I was a teenager, I got a job modeling like leather jackets and like coats in New York. And, you know, so I would walk around a mall with these jackets, like various jackets on, like put handing out flyers. And then when someone said how much they like my jacket and I let them try it on or whatever, I'd walk them back to the store and then they would buy it. Right. So I was literally a walking retail store. But they agreed to buy it from me right walking around it's it was funny outdoor outlet mall right so if they agreed to buy the clothes off my back they would get a discount which you know ah, so there i am walking around the mall now mind you in winter i, I might be a 16 year old wearing a, a mink coat in the summer there i am in leather jackets sweating you know like <laughs> Odds were not good if I'm sweating in a leather jacket, like trying to get someone to, to buy this jacket for me. That's not, yeah, odd, odds are down. Um, but yeah, that's the first thing I sold was like coats and jackets walking around a you know, retail outlet mall in upstate New York because I'm, I'm originally from New York. 
<laughs> That's really fascinating. Uh, and I, I'm sure people can't find you in a mall anymore uh, just because we are all locked down due to the pandemic. Um, curious, how can people reach out to you and what should they reach out to you for? Yeah, so you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, after a little slash, it's just jferg507. And that jferg507 follows me everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse. Like any social media platform, you can put that number in. I've had it since I was a teenager, but it, it goes everywhere. So yeah, that's the easiest way to reach out to me for. And you can reach me out to me if you are a sales leader and need to develop some pipeline confidence. We provide sales development resources over at Inside Out. If you are looking for a speaker or someone to talk about various topics, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. There's a press kit there. Or... If you just want help, just want help, you're women in sales and you need someone to talk to, if you are struggling in any way, I am the kind of person who just likes to support other people. There are many times in my life where I just wish somebody would like just give me a hand up or just give me some support. So I've made a, a conscious effort to be there for other people. And so if you need help, you can reach out to me. Thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, I know you definitely walk the talk uh, and you definitely support a lot of women. And so, yeah, I would definitely encourage anybody who's looking uh, for help, either maybe on personal branding or a woman in sales to reach out to you. Uh, thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, a great opportunity. And I just, I, I love talking.